0: Hello and welcome to series 2 of the Facing Up podcast with me, Luke Grenfell-Shaw. In 2018, I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, and since then, I've made it my mission to make the most of each and every passing day. This has led me to cycle on a tandem from Bristol to Beijing. Covid got in the way and I had to take a break, but now I'm back on the road. Before you hear this episode's conversation, here's a little snippet of what has happened to me on my travels over the last week. This has been one of my favourite weeks so far on the tandem. And I think a really big part of that is that I've had the immense privilege and pleasure of sharing it with my good friend Michelle. Together, we cycled from Varazdin in Croatia to Belgrade, the capital of Serbia covering about 500 kilometers. We're gonna hear a bit more from Michelle later, but for me, sharing the journey with other people really changes the complexion and the dynamic. Even quite mundane moments, such as having a double espresso, a produgina kava in a coffee shop by the side of the road, becomes so much more enjoyable when you can chat and share the feelings and the surroundings and the the jokes of having a hundred flies plastered to my chest as happened a couple of days ago as we were cycling through Serbia. It all becomes that much more enjoyable when you've got someone else there. And indeed, even the mundane activities of cooking the evening meal become more fun when you've got another person to joke about, well, what is it exactly going to taste like when we put courgette couscous, paprika, and peanut butter together in a dish. For the record, it tasted pretty good, but that might have been just because we were hungry. Whilst riding with Michelle was a big factor in the enjoyability of the past week, What comes a close second is the incredible warmth of the Croatian people that we met. It's been very different from what I've experienced so far. The level of spontaneous inclusion and excitement. As we were cycling past, people would come and they would just wave or say hi spontaneously. It seemed very much like a knee-jerk reaction. And there are a couple of times when we're just cycling past a cafe, just thinking, well, at some point we're going to stop. And then people are shouting, hi, and we're like, oh, that's so friendly. And we come over and we have a chat. And that level of friendliness and inclusion really marks out Croatia amongst all the countries that I've passed through so far. There have been lovely people in many countries, but Croatia is the first place where we were spontaneously invited to a wedding as we were passing by the doorway. The mother of the bride says, oh, come in, come in, try some rakia, the home-brewed spirits. And it was very special to be included in such a personal family event, the strangers that we were. But perhaps the anecdote that captures this immense warmth and helpfulness of the people that we met through our time in North Croatia was on the first day when we were making some really great progress along some of the flat roads, passing cornfield after cornfield. And Michelle and I go over this level crossing. There's suddenly a bit of a bump and a crash, and there's a lot of drag and a scraping sound that's coming from the back of the tandem, so we stop. We look round, and we're missing a wheel. The trailer wheel had somehow rattled loose and just flown off the back. Either side of the road, there were these ditches with shrubbery, and we couldn't see the wheel anywhere. We spent the next 45 minutes combing through this brush and couldn't find the wheel, not for one of love nor money. So we were there in rural Croatia, stranded, A woman comes past on her bike and I say, hey, look, we've lost a wheel. I show her the trailer and it becomes clear what's happened. And we kind of mime that we've tried to find the wheel and we just haven't found it anywhere. Still can't believe that we weren't able to find it. And she's like, oh, no worries. Let me just call my friend. And he's the guy who's in charge of a bike repair, motorbike shop. Gives him a call and says, right, I've just spoken to Zika. His son will come pick you up in half an hour. Half an hour passes and Zhikris is good at his word. We meet his son, who turns out to be a part-time wrestler, big guy, but really such a warm-hearted guy, drives us twenty minutes into the town of Koprovnica, and I have a slight sinking feeling when we get there, because it's not like a bike shop, it's kind of like a semi-repairs yard with a fast food cafe. But I should not have doubted, because they go searching through all sorts of weird and wonderful rooms with different motorcycle parts and tyres and wheels and stuff, and they end up finding the exact wheel that we need, the right size, they've got a tyre for it, and so about 20 minutes later... The trailer has a brand new wheel and we are ready to get back on the road. But before we do, they say, well, you need to have a drink first. So we go round to the front of this cafe called Picova Vadama And there we have the drink, which is very popular throughout the Balkans. White wine mixed with sparkling water. Spritzer, very refreshing and fantastic. Then we get on our way cycling into the night. Now, believe it or not, losing a wheel wasn't the only mechanical problem that we had this week. We actually had, wait for it, five punctures. Most of them were my fault. I think the problems are now behind us. But it really got me thinking. It can be so easy to get very frustrated by having punctures on the road. It breaks up your rhythm, it stops the flow, it stops you making progress. It can be very, very difficult to put the tires back on, certainly from my own personal experience. In short, there are many things that it can be very easy to become annoyed about. And certainly many, many times in the past, I've been incredibly frustrated when I've had a flat time, like, no, this is not what I wanted. I wanted my ride to be enjoyable and smooth and there not to be any problems. And I just was having such a great time. And now I've got this puncture. I've really tried to change my attitude. And the way I've approached this is by thinking, right, Luke, I know that you're going on a cycle expedition around the world. You've decided you want to do this. You also know that bikes get punctures and you have to change tires. You know that is going to happen at some point. Even if you want to avoid that in your mind, you know it's going to happen. So if I've signed up to do something where I know I'm going to get punctures, that's part of the equation, then what right do I have to be annoyed? It's going to be entirely predictable. It's something I need to embrace that if I want to do this by bike, then there are going to be problems. In fact, you know, whatever means of transport you're going to choose, you're probably going to face some problem or another. And if you just accept that as part of the adventure and the experience, to me that really helped in saying, well, actually there's nothing wrong about getting a puncture. It is very much part of the expedition and something to be expected and therefore just to embrace it as one of those things that happens. It's not always easy. There was a point this week where I had a string of unprintables issue from my mouth, but later that evening it actually turned out to be a fantastic day when we were helped out by some local people in the village of Sopje. Check out my recent blog post if you want to find out more about that. In order to enter Serbia, Michelle and I needed to get a COVID swab test and we went to a clinic in Osijek, uh, city in the north of Croatia to do so. It was a pretty unpleasant experience, I'm not going to lie. It felt like the swab not only went into my nose, but then also pretty far into my brain. My eyes were streaming for minutes afterwards. Though it seems like it was something of a macho thing, because I saw a few other guys walking away afterwards. Jaws set, one of them eventually reaching for his handkerchief, but very stoic expressions on their faces. It was very interesting looking at the hospital. It was riddled with bullet holes. And there were many buildings in Osijek and also in Vukovar that really bear the legacy of the war that came about with the breakup of Yugoslavia. And to see it so visible was a pretty stark reminder of the conflict that happened. And it's something that feels very alien, particularly when coming from a UK background because there are no buildings with the bullet holes. There are very few visceral reminders of the wars that we have been involved in. Yes, there are memorials, but they're curated. They're almost beautiful. If you see one building which stands alone amidst a lot of new builds, and this one building is just riddled with bullet holes, it's basically falling down. That is a stark reminder of the reality of war. Michelle and I have now made it to Belgrade. On the final day of cycling in the morning, I asked Michelle for her reflections on the past week. So, Michelle, we're here in Novi Sad. The last time we spoke, we were in and We've covered over 400 kilometres on the bike in under a week. We've been pretty lucky with the weather. We've crossed a border. We've had a Covid test. What are you going to be looking back on?
1: well we've still got a bit to go but i'm honestly just so impressed by what we've been able to see in this short period of time as you'll you'll probably hear about or read about in the blog lots of really fun stories but to me i think what really opened my eyes is how does one define adventure and luke put it so well when you're having a meal over a campfire the other night and he said basically you can create your own adventures whether it's you know cycling to your local park and camping there or just hopping on a bike in Zagreb and cycling all the way down to Novi Sad I mean adventure comes in many forms and can often that one factor of difference could be the mode of transport and I mean having redefined my sense of adventure I've just been having an amazing time and I look back on this with such fond memories and a new sense of adventure and a new sort of outlook towards it in the future. I think what you're saying there that,
0: that's it's really interesting because you can be in a familiar place but if you do it in an unfamiliar way so if you're used to walking in the local park that can feel very familiar but if you're there like while camping at night suddenly it feels like you're in a totally different space and I'm wondering what your highlight from the week has been?
1: Uh, I suppose with When it comes to traveling on the bike, there's lots of uncertainty when it comes to the bike itself. And so even though we had a pretty low day in terms of bike maintenance, it led to us some really high moments in the trip, which was probably our stop at Sofia.
0: There were some multiple mechanical failures, which Michelle put up with incredibly well, and they were mostly down to my <laughs> my responsibility, my fault. And what, what was the most perhaps challenging moment of the past week?
1: Um, challenging, I suppose my approach to, uh, or I guess my expectation going into joining you on the cycle was to physically challenge myself but I, I think the most I've cycled was uh, 56 miles and that was three years ago uh, <laughs> and haven't cycled very far since and so I kind of approach this as a test of endurance and I'm quite happy with how it's gone so far I'm just honestly pinch myself whenever Luke shares the mileage that we finish with because I never ask I just kind of put my head down and cycle along so it's been really cool to hear how much track we've covered in such a short time
0: And we've got our final leg today. We're going to end in Belgrade, probably about another hundred k's ahead. So not an insignificant day. Michelle, you talk about adventure and how you might now view it somewhat differently. What's your next adventure?
1: Well, with the encouragement of Luke, I've decided not to go back straight away to the UK and we'll do a short little detour to Turkey and we'll do a bit of hiking and a lot of eating. And a lot of recovery, at least for me. And we'll see what adventures lie there.
0: Right. Well, thank you, Michelle. Looking forward to hearing how that goes and seeing if we can pull you away from mm. your next uh, destination in Japan after that, mm. if the American government yeah. will allow this. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for joining. I've really enjoyed this last week.
1: Yeah, likewise, likewise. And best of luck.
0: I'm particularly excited to share with you this week's episode because it is the first one that has happened on the road, someone that I have met while cycling from Bristol to Beijing on the tandem, and in fact, who shared the day with me on Chris the Tandem. You'll get to hear Ollie's reflections later on that. But first of all, let me tell you a little bit about Ollie Broadhead. Ollie is an adventurer, a photographer and an explorer, And he has done some incredible expeditions, so when he told me he was 25, I could barely believe it. In 2015, he walked 1,000 kilometres right the way across India, surviving on less than a dollar a day. He has more recently done a 500-kilometre walk across Sumatra, not only walking, but doing a biodiversity transect to look at the different species right the way across Sumatra. And there are more expeditions in the offering, with Alaska rumoured and perhaps even a return to Sumatra. I managed to pin Ollie down for a few minutes in a roadside cafe in the southern Austrian town of Stube. I really hope that you enjoy the following conversation. So right now we are in Stubb. Ollie joined me yesterday on the tandem and over the course of yesterday's riding, it became pretty clear to me that Ollie, you've got just a plethora of stories from your travels in Sumatra, in India, in Norway, very often on a shoestring budget, which seems to take you in some interesting places. I thought it'd be really fun just to have a little conversation about some of the challenges that you faced and because what struck me over the last 24 hours, and I've only known you for 24 hours, is just how easygoing and laid back you are. Last night, just for example, you chose to only have a silk sleeping bag and a bivy bag liner, and it was pretty cold. I had my tent, my sleeping bag. I was warm, you weren't, and yet you still managed to wake up this morning in good spirits. Just how do you do that? What's going through your mind?
2: That's more just experiment. That's sort of and not every night needs to be a good night. I was more testing how limited I could go with the kit, which therefore means that, okay, you're gonna suffer, but then you know that's doable, but maybe next time you choose to take something a bit warmer, or maybe you learn that not only was it doable, it was actually pretty easy, and the next time you cut kit. So that's fairly easy to stay positive through, because it's not the mission, it's the experiment before things get serious. So that's just messing around, so that's very easy to stay pretty chill about.
0: You said you kind of basically got about four hours sleep. You woke up like a sunbeam with the sunbeams. There was no grumpiness or anything. I'm just intrigued how you managed to do that.
2: No, that's definitely like, I mean, I was awake from two till four, feeling really cold, but that was definitely the best stars of the night. Had a couple of shooting stars go over. Had a fox come around. And then probably about five thirty six, I woke up and there was just like beautiful mist in the valley and then i was thinking this is sort of perfect for wildlife and then about five minutes after i thought that a couple of deer came out of the forest and started grazing maybe like 200 meters away so you know it's this sort of thing and you've just got a i don't mean you have to appreciate you can't help but sort of appreciate that it's just it's a bit special it's very easy to be positive i think you're sort of spoiled like that
0: but it sounds like you are up for looking around for those silver star linings rather than I could imagine at one point I would have just been miserable and I would have only focused on the misery that I was in and then that becomes all consuming it sounds like you're very good at just looking at other things.
2: I hope I am I'm definitely no I mean everyone falls into the spirals of misery. I tend not to do misery I tend to do stress so when there's like a time you've got to get somewhere by that that's when I start to get like in a bad mood. In terms of the suffering I've always liked the idea of these sort of things so in terms of discomfort that's something I like to think I'm good at and therefore I feel like I should be able to enjoy and therefore I do enjoy it. It's a weird one I know I want to like this therefore I make myself like it whereas something's just going stupidly wrong no one wants to like that and therefore (laughs) therefore that is just irritating. for like the sleeping out
0: and stuff that's the thing I've just always wanted to do and always have done and therefore enjoy. And you've done many crazier expeditions than joining an admittedly crazy person on their tandem for a day. Can you take us through perhaps one of your most memorable episodes from one of the travels where something went wrong and you had to kind of work with that situation? I was
2: saying to Lou yesterday, we were talking about, as Luke goes on, certain countries that maybe people are more... Nerve solve and, and the unpredictable nature of people. Well, actually, to be honest, on a bike, cars are your biggest danger, but your, your next biggest danger is, is people. It's not going to be leopards or wolves or anything. And I have been phenomenally lucky in my travels to have met, I mean, encountered thousands of people and met many hundreds and had almost no bad experiences. But I was sort of saying one thing I was quite proud of was in India, which is the only time I was, and I, again, it just most people in India were completely lovely, and I met hundreds and hundreds of people there. But we had one group of drunk young men try and rob us. They have machetes and I think that's a moment I'm quite proud of because I just kept talking calmly to them and sort of pretending I didn't understand. They didn't speak English. They were just asking we're here, we're here, so asking for money. Just sort of kept being very smiley, pretending not to understand. Hello, we're from England. Yes, we're walking. And then eventually they escalated it and sort of began to become violent. And then said yes, sure, no, don't worry, we understand, we're here. Began searching my bags. so I'm trying to offer them everything. Eventually we managed to drag this out, continually diffusing the situation for about half an hour, and eventually some local farmers saw what was going on and they came over and they intervened, and we were able to get away completely safely. And this idea that you should never escalate, always de-escalate, and always be prepared to just be like, I'm very happy to be robbed at some point Um, being at peace with that thought you should be totally fine with that and you should be totally relaxed about that it's extremely unlikely to happen but any anger is always best diverted by being very smiley and very friendly and chatty and I've had lots of potentially misunderstandings get solved by just being as friendly as possible for as long as possible
0: it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about let's just be smiley, let's try and diffuse the situation. But when you're in that moment and you see three guys coming up, they're drunk, they're looking threatening, we're both male, there's not quite the same level of danger or threat in some ways, how do you take a moment to go, right, instead of looking really nervous, instead of all this panic rising up and affecting how I'm interacting with these people, do you have sort of a mental trick to switch into this mind frame of, right, I'm going to be friendly, rather than go, you know, be aggressive or The natural tendency is to escalate in some (laughs) ways. I mean, I was
2: on those kids who did a lot of extra drama classes, so I think that helps. (laughs) Uh, helps.
0: So we're here in a cafe right now in Dupe, and there's, as you've already heard, lots of traffic coming past. And Ollie now has just taken custody of a delicious looking toasted cheese sandwich. So if there's munching, that's going to be Ollie going on (laughs) that.
2: I always think I'm crap at it, basically. I think I'm crap at staying calm. I've had a few, I think it's, for me, it's easier with people. I struggle more when I'm pulled over, not pulled over, but when I've had encounters with police or military. It's the very British thing, if you just always think you've done something wrong. You're like, you know, what What have I forgotten? What, Part of my visa wasn't right, and of course it's usually nothing. With people, I think it's more just, I've come to their country, I've come to their village, I am a weird, strange, suspicious person, suspicious-looking, and they have every right to be a bit curious, a bit, you know, what are you doing here? That's a completely sensible question, I think, in a lot of these places. So it's just sort of being aware of that, and being humble about it. I think just always trying to be friendly and just maintaining that even if they're not trying to be friendly.
0: It's that you should be friendly if they're friendly and friendly if they're not friendly. It can feel like being friendly, even if they're being unfriendly, isn't actually being effective, but actually were you then to change and be unfriendly and reciprocate their unfriendliness, the situation would probably get yeah, a lot worse right. much yeah. more quickly. So it still is effective even if you're still being met by stony glares.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important as well because I mean, it's a weird one, but obviously, a lot of the countries that I've been to, there's a huge, 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 unimaginable wealth disparity between me and people I might be staying with or meeting. I grew up in like this tiny little sort of small holding in Cornwall, and when I was a kid, we used to have the fox hunters come through. We've got the right to just run our dogs through your garden, which was terrible. You know, that's such like use of power and privilege by very wealthy people and there's a certain element of that it's like oh yeah i feel i can just walk through your garden and by the way i'm way richer than you and and it's a very odd one it's obviously very visible because of the color of your, your skin you know i am you know you're white therefore you're rich in a lot of these countries so you really need to make sure that you're not making anyone feel in any way inferior because they might be feeling That way, anyway, and they might be feeling angry about that. Most people aren't, most people are just extremely curious, but that's one of the reactions I've had a couple you know, I've had that reaction a couple of times that it's angry because of hey, who the hell, who the hell do you think you are? Kind of thing. So, to just appreciate that and just be genuinely like, you know, <laughs> I know this is a bit stupid, so just trying to de escalate at all the times. I think I don't think you, you will ever solve anything by escalating.
1: If you actually end
2: up in a fight that you didn't start, by all means, preferably <laughs> leg Yes, <in. laughs>
0: Yeah, more effective. Um, even better not to end up in the fight. Ollie, it's very easy and something I discover time and again having these kind of conversations is that the challenges that I think would be difficult for a person going through a certain situation are often very different for the actual challenges that person faces. You seem to have a very high tolerance for lack of sleep, going without food, being in difficult environments. For you, what is the biggest challenge of going on adventures?
2: For me, I mean, I'm awful at organising, so it's getting it off the ground. It's actually doing it. That's not even a psychological thing. That's like hitting your head against the wall until you've finished writing the grant application or working out your route, or whatever it might be. Actually, on them, the first few weeks, I guess, I watched to India and it took about three months and I really just wanted to keep going at the end. The first two weeks were horrible and then after that I was you know just sort of building up momentum and I didn't really want to stop when I did. For me it's much easier to be on expeditions or at least if I'm back at home in Cornwall continuously doing things than not doing things. Like. The challenge for me is just being happy and focused when I don't have a big project. I, I struggle definitely to, to sort of feel like i don't have a direction when i'm in the uk if i'm just working i don't have a plan and i'll then turn to fill up my time with loads of stupid stuff in the uk like climbing and um, so it's for me it's the the expedition isn't really the challenge it's definitely just like working out life at home
0: essentially. so in some ways once you're in the expedition you've got a very clear goal life is quite simple yeah. you've already put the foundations and the groundwork in the thing is happening, you just need to deliver. That sounds like the bit that you Yeah, are... that's it. that's
2: the easy bit. Yeah. <laughs> that
0: is the easy bit. And what's your next expedition? If things go ahead, of course we're in an uncertain time.
2: If things go ahead. I mean the next I've got about four planned and I have no idea which one the next one would
0: The one I should have just come
2: back from, and hopefully we'll do next year, is I with my dad has just retired and he has always been a very good kayaker. I grew up sea kayaking, white water kayaking with him. We've always kayaked together and we were planning the year after he retired. I'd planned to get a spasco from work and then go kayak the west coast of Alaska for about two months and then straight on to Canada for another two months. So like four months kayaking down the whole west coast. And sadly, because of COVID, we had to ban that plan. Thank God we hadn't actually flown out because then we'd have been really screwed if it had like COVID had hit two months after it did and we'd have been stuck in a fairly remote area without the ability to get back. And obviously it's the least of anyone's problems, COVID related, but that hopefully will become next year's big adventure. And then there's a few sort of more scientific expeditions I want to go back to. I worked with a brilliant team in Sumatra a few years ago, and we're really, really interested to go back to this area of incredible intact forest. And Sumatra is one of the most biodiverse places anywhere in the world, sort of outside of the Amazon. And there's some very remote, unprotected, intact, unresearched forest there that I think we can get into. And it's just getting into it with the right scientific objectives on top of the expedition objectives. So it's, that's what I'm sort of trying to narrow down at the moment and ideally be doing that straight after Alaska next year.
0: Final question, Ollie. You've already given me a lot of advice on quite a lot of how to take photographs, but really actually how about to share and see more in what is around, there's around what has been around us over the, these last 24 hours on the expedition. But I was wondering, you know, what advice do you have for people who like the idea of being a bit more outdoorsy, like the idea of doing some adventures, aren't really sure where to start. It feels quite intimidating. This is something I found. I I was telling you last night, I tried to go into my garden. I was like, I'm going to prepare for wild camping. I'm going to prepare for wild camping. So I'm going to do it the safe way in my garden. And so I got my sleeping bag and bivy bag out and I was like lying down and I just could not get to sleep. Because the thought that kept on coming back was, what happens when I'm asleep and a fox comes along and starts mauling my face? <laughs> yeah. And so fears that are as ridiculous and as irrational as that. So start. take us from the Luke of a few months ago who couldn't even sleep in his garden. No, What's your best advice? You
2: did it totally right. I grew up with my brother we would always go camping in the garden from sort of six onwards. I think by nine we were sort of camping in the local forest. So I think that's exactly right. Start with your comfort zones, even if it seems silly. Put the tent up in your bedroom. I, my brother and I used to do that when we were kids. I'd sleep in my sleeping bag in bed. And then, yeah, your garden. During lockdown, just for the hell of it, I was going and bivying in my back garden. Just, just if it was a nice night and the stars were out and that's a brilliant place to start and then I think some people are maybe nervous at the idea of hiking and then having to camp you know when they're, they're tired so maybe don't maybe just if you're going to the beach or you're going out take the tent in the car and then just bivy uh, wherever you happen to end up and then um, keep it really simple and work up I mean I some of my projects this year I, I tore a tendon quite badly in my in my shoulder and I was off kayaking for the best part of the year Noah's now trying to get back in and I didn't lean back in I, you know you're really slowly building up from three kilometres up to thirty kilometres and then beginning to bring in those overnights and play around with the kit. And I think the really important thing is to think of it as playing. You you don't have to get things right. You will what I mean is you you'll have a few Nights where you've gone like, oh, God, I bought way too much kit, way too much kit, and I barely used any of it. And when you get back, make a note of what you didn't use and cut it down. And the opposite, you know, sometimes you go, oh, God, I wish I had a, last night, I really wish I'd had a beanie. My head was freezing. (laughs) And you're like, okay, you know, a beanie wouldn't add any extra weight, really? That's definitely going in the pack list for next time. And you don't see every time you go on a little adventure as going to get it 100% right this time. Every time is a little lesson. And even for the big expeditions it becomes that you come back and you go over your kid and think, what could I have done less, more better, quicker and just mm. change it. And that should become fun. And it it actually allows you to dissociate from seeing it as serious because it it just is constantly learning. And if you are aware that if you are learning you will make mistakes and therefore you can forgive yourself for those mistakes rather than being like, I need to get it perfect, oh god, it's unforgivable that I forgot to pack perfectly or I forgot to perform perfectly. So I think
0: that's definitely a way to do it. Don't take it seriously. Start easy. That sounds absolutely spot on. You know, think of it as as play, as fun and you know, take all the pressure off that it, you know you need to get it right. Whatever right is. You're learning, you're experimenting. You can improve the next time and sure you might have a bad night's sleep one night, but that is sort of just part of the fun or it's it's, it's part of the experience yeah. and you'll have a story to tell at the end of it and start somewhere work out where your comfort zone is go a little bit beyond and you can build it that's certainly been my experience i have a question i ask everyone ollie on the facing up podcast which is three questions and it's because i want to extract the knowledge from you and then hijack it for my own purposes and ask everyone what their favorite or one of their favorite or most significant places are piece of music and book Ooh. And you are really on the spot. Most people actually get, like, some warning, so...
2: No, 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 it's fine. I think... Um, place. I think there's there's some quote somewhere, I can't remember. It's probably from Terry Pratchett. And it's sort of talking about people who've travelled a lot versus people who've stayed at home a lot. And the point being, you've got to be proud of something. So you can be proud that you've sort of taken your stand in one place, or you can be proud that you've travelled, or you can be proud that you did something in between and i really like that thought and i'm definitely very proudly cornish i grew up there and so cornwall is, is my place and i'd say my best place in cornwall is probably blue island it's just a place i spent a huge amount of time pre diving and kayaking there's some really good surfing nearby and it's just sort of i'm very lucky to have spent sort of all of my life within a one hour radius apart from going off traveling but i've always sort of come back this spot. So that's always very important for me. So it's not it's not some far flung distant land, it is a uh, sort of quarter of an hour drive from where I grew up how I grew up. My favourite piece, piece of music. So weird. At the moment my favourite stuff to listen to is young fathers who are just fantastic. What I like in music is lyrics, and I think it's because I'm tone deaf. I think it's because i'm completely awful at that so i'm always looking for something the same with writing that has a layer of meaning or complexity to it because i have to because i can't just sort of judge a rhythm by the by the by the sound of it so i, th- I think something like that and there's also a few songs that like the wombats they did an album called boys girls and marsupials no it's a song boys girls and marsupials from the album love loss and desperation and, and that's just a Soular it was an album I think it was the first album I bought. I bought it when I was eleven. I think I was recommended it by a friend's older brother who sadly died a few years later and then and there was all sorts of memories you know i I listened to that a lot with my best friend and some really amazing play we actually had we didn't we just struck lucky with actually having some, at eleven you' got awful music tapes and we just had like one album that actually is a decent album and rediscovered that uni um there was also like uh Some other stuff going on and just remember listening to that. So it's one that's come in at three or four really important times in my life and and therefore has sort of a story behind it rather than just like one one good song. The songs themselves
0: might be that deep, (laughs) it's just personal. And Ollie, your favourite book? Favourite book? Or one that you found most impactful? Um
2: anything by george orwell anything by norman lewis or log from the sea of cortez by Steinbeck. but i'd say probably damn it i can't do this empire of the east by norman lewis probably uh, norman lewis was like a, a war correspondent and travel journalist and he continued to work into his late 80s his last book was published when he was 93 And in his late 80s, he travelled to Indonesia, which was in the 90s, and there was a genocide going on. And he is the most human and clear-sighted writer imaginable. Gives a feeling of utter honesty, but also writes beautifully. And there are so few people who you feel can remove their ego and then truly report from atrocity without... Almost glorifying it, which can happen with a lot of other reportage that it comes way exciting or intoxicating, and to just have a blunt honesty about it is very eye-opening. And I think almost any of his books have that same honesty, and it's really worth reading. Oh. And he's, he's sort of, since he died, he sort of he hasn't
0: become cemented in history; he's sort of been forgotten. But his books are being republished, and they're definitely worth reading. Well, Ollie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat on the Facing Up podcast. I will now let you enjoy your toasted cheese sandwich and coffee. Thank you so much for joining. And that was my conversation with Ollie Broadhead. A big thank you to Ollie and a big thank you to you for listening and engaging with what Ollie had to say. I found it super interesting. Two things I'm going to take away are be as smiley as possible. And also, in high-pressured situations, just try and slow things down. Hopefully, that will lead to other opportunities or ways of resolving that situation. Now, Ollie has done some pretty epic expeditions, but I was really thrilled that he decided to join me on the tandem for a day. At the end of it, I asked him what he thought of it. Ollie, you joined yesterday. It was awesome to have you on the tandem. What were your thoughts? How was it?
2: yesterday was an interesting day apparently it's not usual but we had back-to-back punches the tires are awful to change on the the, (laughs) the tandem it's these giant wheels but we managed it managed 80k despite it which felt just about okay i'm luke sadly is uber fit and i'm not so (laughs) so that was yeah that was still felt fairly solid we found a pretty decent camp spot, had some beautiful deer walking past in the morning. Mm. Just was like the mist and the sunrise, that was pretty special. Uh, what else happened? What else?
0: I guess we had, we had a lovely lunch spot actually, didn't we? We were like amidst some vines. We had um, a very
2: decent lunch spot, we were cheekily stole some grapes, mm. uh, but I don't think they will miss any because there were a few million grapes and we only took about 20
0: yeah um, quite restrained really yeah
2: we were restrained mm. we got some free pairs later on as well so yeah. that's good first repair stop we had a parked up outside someone's house and basically just started taking apart the whole bike and <laughs> effectively their driveway
0: and all the bags came off all the bags came
2: <laughs> off we were there for about an hour they showed up after about 10 minutes and um were lovely about it and brought out some brought out some drinks and things so that was a positive human encounter what
0: surprised you most about the tandem the
2: thing that surprised me most about the tandem is the how the gears feel or i guess it's maybe because of both of you pedaling it always feels like you're in a really low gear keeping up a really fast pedal rate there's never really a sort of like power feeling through the pedals unless you really speed up like it's it's a fast paced bike Mm. so that that felt very different and uh, definitely the momentum it builds up downhill it feels like I think I was saying like a freight train, like it's unstoppable. Once of speed, this thing is heavy. Um, so yeah, very glad the brakes held.
0: Um, any advice you'd give to anyone else joining?
2: Oh dear. Oh yeah. Bring, um, definitely bring, don't wear board shorts. I wore board shorts and after a, about six hours or so, my, my bum was not thanking me. So uh, Luke kindly had a spare pair of padded pants, but if you've got your own, bring those. I think that uh, <laughs> it it makes a big difference
0: and that is it for this week I hope you have a great week ahead and goodbye